0: Okay, so today we're going to be talking a little bit about a woman named Mary Henrietta Kingsley. So Mary Henrietta Kingsley was born in London on the 13th of October, 1862. She was born four days after her parents' marriage. So if you know (laughs) math and the average gestation period of humans, her folks were a bit eager. uh, Shopping in a bit early on that one. She (laughs) was the only daughter... An oldest child of George Kingsley and Mary Bailey, her father was a wealthy doctor, a traveler, and a writer, and her mother, according to her registered occupation, was his cook. Which, this being the eighteen hundreds, I assume that was the occupation of every wife, but it specifically <laughs> stated on her occupation sheet that he was she was his cook. So, right. um, yeah. Her father was often hired as a personal physician and doctor to various aristocrats when they were out traveling, so he himself traveled a bunch, usually for months or years at a time, and he was very rarely home. Uh, One time, he was hired to work for George Herbert, the 13th Earl of Pembroke, on a trip to North America in 1870. He was there for five years, and towards the end, he was invited to join George Armstrong Custer's U.S. Army expedition against the Sioux Indians. Now it's three Georges. So her father's George Kingsley, who was hired by George Herbert, and got invited to join George Armstrong Custer's army. So I assume there's maybe ten names back in the 1800s, because there's a lot of Georges. Um, right. So, but what George Armstrong Custer did was basically perform a gruesome massacre on the Sioux Indians. And although Mary's father wasn't able to join the massacre due to extremely bad weather, his descriptions of the battlefield when he later got to see it reached back to England and just shocked his wife and kids. They were disgusted by the descriptions. And Mary's father's disgust for the injustices dealt towards Native Americans would kind of shape Mary's own opinion on British cultural imperialism in West Africa. So when her father got home, uh, he was usually engaged in various social events that Mary's mother was not allowed to join in on being you know female and all that so due to this their marriage was kind of rocky because her father was either not home or attending a party she wasn't allowed to do uh so mary's mother basically retreated to her bedroom and just claimed to be gravely ill for the rest of her life yikes (laughs) which that's the way to do it you just you know the long it's the ultimate silent treatment i'm not only talking to you i'm also dying of an illness i'm in this room now forever (laughs) So Mary had a rather uh, dull childhood and early life. Uh, her mother insisted that all the front street-facing windows be bricked up and that the shutters on all the other windows be permanently nailed shut. The house also did not have gas lighting, so it's pretty dark in there. There's no windows. God. Um, she also demanded that the kids were to be absolutely quiet due to her illness. Uh, Mary did have a younger brother, but he was sickly and required special care, so she wasn't allowed to play with him. So Mary basically grew up alone in this dark and silent house. Um, Mary was not allowed to attend school because her father, a highly educated man, thought that education was unnecessary for a girl. Uh, He did allow her to attend a German school, but only to learn German. This is because at the time, all medical research had to be published in German, and he figured that she could make good use as a proofreader and a secretary to his own documents. So she learned German. That's it. Well, he already had a chef, so... Uh, Exactly, yeah. (laughs) What more do you want out of life? You get to live in a dark, windowless house with a dying mother and brother, and also you now know German.
1: (laughs) Being a secretary and living in the dark is not a good combination.
0: No, it's basically an internship, but that's your life. Um, (laughs) So... Wanting to be more than a secretary to her father, Mary decided to take her education into her own hands. So she'd often sneak into her father's study and uh, his library. Its walls were basically just covered in bookshelves from floor to ceiling containing travel narratives and journals and medical documents, as well as being littered with souvenirs from his travels around the world, things like Stone Age axes and iron weapons from India and Native American uh, arrowheads. Since this was the golden age of explorers, the study also featured numerous maps and voyage diaries of the North and South Poles, Africa, Himalayas, Arabia, South Seas, and Australia. Mary found solace and knowledge in her father's library, quote, The whole life of my childhood and youth was spent at home, in the house and garden. The living outside world I saw little of and cared less for. I felt myself out of place at the few parties I ever had the chance of going to, and I deservedly was unpopular with my own generation, for I knew nothing of play and such things. The truth was that I had a great amusing world of my own that other people did not know or care about, and that was the books in my father's library. Just so that's still a bit sad. Um, yeah. <laughs> of all of the information in her father's library, she was most interested in what she called classic spots in Africa. These were descriptions of particularly dangerous, exotic, and hostile places that would push the uh, strength and endurance and wit of the explorer to their limits. She was downright intoxicated with these descriptions and places. And here we see why I chose to write about her today. So, in 1892, when Mary was 30, so she's been in this house for 30 years taking care of her mother and brother. Good lord.
2: Her Wait, father... 1800s. Didn't people die in like their 40s back then?
0: Oh yeah, no. She's like she's like two weeks away from dying. So yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's 1800s. Yeah. Right. Life expectancy is about teenage years. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you go from puberty straight to deathbed. Um, so in 1892, when she was 30, her father returned home from an expedition and uh, basically instantly became bedridden with rheumatic fever and died within a week. And a couple of months later, her mother also passed away. Suddenly finding it. her, yeah. <laughs> Finding herself free of the family responsibilities that kind of locked her down for 30 years and with a newly acquired inheritance of 4,300 pounds, which is roughly, and I did calculate this, a bit over half a million pounds in today's money, which is a fuckload of money.
1: That's, uh, that's completely decent, yeah? Yeah,
0: yeah. So she now realized that she was able to leave this dungeon of a house and travel as she'd always dreamed. So Mary instantly left for Africa to finish collecting material for a book her father had begun about African culture. Like, we're talking, like, within a month, she's gone. So, Mary began by taking a ship to the Canary Islands off the coast of Spain. Here, she socialized with merchants and, um, captains that dealt with tribes on the west coast of Africa. She heard horror stories of hostile cannibals and dense jungles and exotic animals, but these horror stories only fueled her ambition and her sense of purpose, She decided that she had to explore all of West Africa. She had to study the tribal religions, she had to study their culture, and she had to document their local history. Quote, I had to go to West Africa, and I went there, proceeding on the even tenor of my way, doing odd jobs and trying to understand things, pursuing knowledge under difficulties with unbroken devotion. In 1893, despite the numerous letters and warnings from her friends back home in England, Mary left the Canary Islands for Africa. Now, in the late 1800s, Africa is still largely unknown to the Europeans. West Africa in particular. Everyone kind of assumed the worst for her. Uh, West Africa in Europe was known as the white man's grave. And since hardened men who spent their entire life exploring just perished when they got to West Africa, everyone was just like, well, you're dead. Like, it's, it's we're talking a woman who has spent 30 years in a <laughs> hole of a mansion <laughs> taking care of two people.
1: So she's a tough cookie or insane? Yes, Probably both. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good mix. A good bit of column A,
0: a bit of column B. So, Mary arrived in Sierra Leone, which is Portuguese for Lioness Mountains, on the 17th of August, 1983. This is one of the first African territories that was ever contacted by the Europeans. From there, she traveled further inland to Luanda in Angola, one of the largest Portuguese cities. Now, before we move on, i just like to set the scene a little bit. I want to describe what she is wearing. Now, In the parching, dry, dusty African heat, Mary, due to the death of her parents, wore a stiff black dress, corset, full blouse, high-heel button boots, and a perky black hat. She kept this formal Victorian funeral clothing on during her entire trip through Africa. Okay? It became her most famous trademark. No matter the weather, the heat, or if she was trekking 2 months into a damn jungle, she was always wearing corset, funeral dress, gigantic hat, high heel boots.
2: I like this girl. She has principles. Mhm. You know? I-, I think I have a theory on how she survived. When she was approaching these African tribes, this like <laughs> woman dressed in black just approaches like
0: massive fluffy dress the, yeah, giant she, she hat. Had, Yeah, she had the, the collar that kind of went up in a massive <laughs> fluff. A huge hat. Um, so, quote, you have no right to go about in Africa in things that you would be ashamed to see n- be seen in at home. And by this, she meant pants, shorts, shirts, clothing that would be very suitable to her expeditions, but was not for a woman to wear. Oh, God, what kind of shoes did she wear? High heel button boots that went to the knee. Oh, she's traveling through marshes and jungles. We'll get into that. It's going to be fun. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Oh, she's serious.
0: In addition to this, in her corset, she always carried a large bowie knife and a loaded revolver, but never used them, preferring instead to use her charisma, her wits, and her self-confidence, as well as her knowledge of the local cultures. Preferring, but she could use both. Uh. Mary stayed with the locals (laughs) of Luanda for about a month. She lived with them as they did, and gained advice and valuable wilderness survival skills from them. Then Was she be- the first advice, change your clothing? So she probably ignored the first advice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, she's permanently in mourning of her parents dying. Yeah. Okay.
1: Mm. <laughs> probably every tenth advice is just get some different clothing.
0: I guess it kind of makes sense. You know how, like, the those, those shepherd-like dogs, they have the fluffy fur around their necks so that when the wolf attacks them, they only actually bite fur and don't get the neck? Maybe that's the thing. Like, a lion attacks her and it just bites off part of a dress because there's just 17 layers of flannel between the lion's mouth and her vital organs. Yeah, and you know how the wolves also carry a bowie knife. You know, just... Well, that's true. So... Um, She began, after she'd uh, stayed with the locals in Luanda for a couple weeks, she began traveling into the wilderness on her own, through nearby jungles, to visit villages. But she couldn't just stroll into these villages without issue. Now, first off, the locals had never seen a white woman who wasn't accompanying her husband before. And secondly, uh, well, she was constantly asked where her husband was, like, the most common question she was asked was, where's your husband? And she hated it. She was super against it. Uh, But secondly, Europeans were not liked by the African tribes, mainly because the Europeans usually considered them to be animalistic savages in dire need of some urgent Christianity and modern civilization. Usually this was done by missionaries just kind of waltzing in and destroying the local culture, disrespecting the elders and forcing new customs on them that they neither understood nor wanted. Uh, Mary denounced these missionaries and tried her best to separate herself from them. Uh, Due to the locals' wariness of Europeans, if she just appeared in a village with no obvious reason, the locals would not trust her and would question her motives. So Mary needed a way in she needed an excuse, she needed a VIP pass into hostile cannibalistic villages. The solution to this? Mary pretended to be a merchant. Using the knowledge she picked up on the Canary Islands from the ship captains, she traveled with a massive wagon of trade objects such as silk and cocoa and coffee... Pretending to be a merchant, and this was her ticket into the villages so she could actually study the villagers. Quote There is something reasonable about trade, especially if you show yourself an intelligent trader who knows the price of things. It enables you to sit as an honored guest at faraway inland village fires, it enables you to become the confidential friend of that ever powerful factor in all human societies the old ladies. It enables you to become an associate of the confraternity of witch doctors, things that being surrounded with an expedition of armed men must prevent your doing. She's scary. Uh, she's not stupid. She's smart. She knows what she's doing. But I do, yeah. I do like that. Like, it enables you to become the confidential friend of that ever-powerful factor in all human societies, the old ladies. Like It's not the chieftain <laughs> that's the power in these villages It's always the old ladies around the campfire. The ones who do the trade. Like, they're the, the source of knowledge and power in these villages.
1: Oh, I can kind of see that, actually. Yeah.
0: So, along with her wit and cunning disguise as a merchant, she also relied on her training as a nurse from her short time at the, I'm going to butcher this German name, Diakonissenanstalt Kaiserworth. Uh, I forgot to clear my throat like three times in that word, but it's, it's German. Um, which allowed <laughs> her. To, yeah, Which allowed her to deal with injuries and protect herself from jungle diseases. Now, Mary traveled between some uh, local villages near Luanda uh, for about five months before she returned to England in December of 1893. She returned with a collection of previously undiscovered beetles and fish for the British Museum and some journals about African culture and tribes. When she returned, she stayed with her brother, keeping house for him. She also secured support and monetary aid from the leading zoologist at the British Museum, Dr. Albert Gunther, and writing agreements from publisher George Macmillan, which is the fourth George, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, so that she could later publish her travel journals. When Mary's brother left on a trip for Burma in 1894, she decided that, well, it's time for me to head back as well, seeking now to explore the Agoa River in Congo's Gabon area. This area is entirely unknown and undocumented by England, okay? It is covered in the densest rainforest in Congo. It's home to dozens of hostile, cannibalistic tribes, and Mary was particularly interested in meeting one of these tribes called the Fangs. They were cannibalistic, warring, head-hunting tribes who had only been visited once before by a European, a Frenchman, who promptly disappeared without a trace. Oh my. Despite, (laughs) Despite this, Mary was certain that her disguise as a merchant would help her survive. Quote, I succumbed to the charm of the coast. I saw more than enough during that voyage to make me recognize that there was any amount of work for me worth doing down there, so I warned the coast that I was coming back again. (laughs) <laughs> which is just a badass quote. Yeah. <laughs> so Mary returned to Africa on December 23rd, 1894, this time with more support, more money, more supplies, and a renewed confidence in herself. She was determined to study the cannibal people on their traditional religious practices called fetishes in Victorian times. Yeah, confidence was always her main problem, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So f- fetishes mean something very different nowadays. But back then, fetishes meant um, just anything that wasn't Christianity. Any kind of like a tribal religion, witch doctoring, voodoo, that was a fetish. Okay? Nothing sexual sure. about it. It's, just, it's mm. just what the word meant. It was also a type of fish. Um, anyways. Why not? <laughs> um, so Mary really wanted to study these religious practices, but she wasn't always supportive of them. Um, and she would often try to educate against and stop particularly brutal and primitive ones. For example, one of the most common customs was to kill twins. It was believed that twins were the result of a devil secretly mating with the mother, and since the innocent child is impossible to distinguish, they just kill both of them, and often they'd also kill the mother for attracting the devil in the first place to impregnate her, just for good measure. i sure um, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, it yeah, yeah, sounds reasonable. Yeah, logical. Logical conclusions. Mm-hmm. Um... <laughs> So Mary gathered a tribe to depart, uh, gathered a team, sorry, to depart for the Fang tribe. She had several men from the Ajumba tribe for protection, and an interpreter from the Igalwe tribe. They brought canoes, waterproof bags, and food to last them for months. Mary decided to leave behind her revolver, stating that if it was seen, it would only cause problems. But she still kept her bowie knife hidden beneath her belt. Wearing a tight corset, large skirt, high-collared blouse, she set up out of the Agoa River deep into the jungle, which connected to the Carcola River and ended in the Incovi Lake. Mary is the first European to have seen these waterways, but she refused to name them, and she refused to take any credit for discovering them, because, she said, the locals who lived here know about them the whole time, and they've already named them. Yeah. Damn. That's, yeah, seems about right. <laughs> So, during the trip, Mary faced multiple challenges of the African rainforests. On one day, a crocodile attempted to board her canoe, so she beat it into submission with her paddle until it fled. That doesn't even
1: surprise me anymore. No, it doesn't. no, no, at this point
0: it's just full yeah, dress yeah, gigantic corset and hat just beating a crocodile into the water with a paddle. <laughs>
1: Wake up, eat breakfast, beat an alligator. It's just, <laughs> just the normal that's What she yeah. does.
0: Um, on another day, a leopard snuck into her camp during the night and surprised Mary in her tent. Mary got up, yelled in the animal's face and tossed random items at the predator until it ran off into the jungle and she chased after it. <laughs> Though Mary would later state that she regretted harming the animal, quote, I would never have hurt a leopard intentionally. I am habitually kind to animals. Besides, I do not think it's ladylike to go around shooting things with a gun. <laughs> what is this woman? <laughs> On multiple occasions, Mary would fall into game traps. These are deep pits full of sharpened spears of wood and ivory covered in feces meant to catch unwary animals. Luckily... Mary's dress would snag on the spikes before she hit the bottom, allowing her to simply climb back out instead of getting impaled.
1: What kind of dress is that?
0: I it's I don't know. This thing is it's armor at this point. It's full plate dress. It's not a dress. This thing is protecting her more than anything else.
1: <laughs> it's like a ballistic
2: dress. <laughs> that was he... a secret all along. That's what explore you appear in uh, like mm-hmm. uh were lacking up until that point. Yeah, no, that's dresses. What, that's yeah. our edge. Yeah. <laughs> Modern day armor. well for that era.
0: After a long journey through the Congo jungle, Mary and her crew arrived at the shore near a fang village. So, they basically own a whole territory, the fangs, okay? So, she arrived at a, uh, a fang village. Within seconds, the tribe was storming the beach with their weapons, clearly intending to kill Mary and her whole team, all of So, Mary stepped forward, holding out her hands, and met the tribe head-on alone. The charging natives stopped, confused... <laughs> And now kind of snapped out of their rage of battle, they realized that the boat was a merchant boat, and they even recognized one of Mary's men who they traded with previously, and they called off the attack. Mary and her men were allowed into the village. Once they had unpacked, Mary sat down with the village leader and asked for some of his men to accompany her as she continued deeper into Fang territory. Initially, he was unwilling, but Mary kept pestering and battering him through the night until he finally yielded and sent along some of his men to join her. Mary just does not care. She does not give a fuck. She does not yield. (laughs) As she traveled, Mary and the Fang men kind of grew to respect each other. Quote, A certain sort of friendship soon arose between the Fangs and me. We recognize that we belong to that same section of the human race with whom it is better to drink than to fight. (laughs) In the next Fang village, Mary was invited to stay in the chief's house but found herself unable to sleep due to a strong, pungent or odor. In the morning, she discovered it was from a leather bag hanging from the roof beams. She later documented its contents. Quote, It was a human hand, three big toes, four eyes, two ears, and other portions of the human frame. The hand was fresh, the others only so-so and shriveled. <laughs> she also remarked that, it, uh, wittingly that she thought it was rather touching that the Fang kept pieces of their victims as mementos. Mary had a nighttime ritual of taking a walk before bed, but declined to do so during her stay with the Fangs. She she does kind of care a little bit for her own self-preservation.
2: Oh, just a little bit though,
0: Tiny not bit. too
1: much. I mean, a healthy yeah. amount.
0: <laughs> I I
2: I don't know, like healthy amount stopped at going into Africa in the 1800s, I think.
0: Yes, uncharted well, African territory relative. to live with the worst uh-huh. tribe, the Fangs. Uh huh. Yeah. In another village, Mary and her men were invited to stay, but soon she found out that the village was actually hostile and was intending to kill them in their sleep. In an attempt to save her and her men's lives, she ordered her interpreter to tell the chief she'd heard the town was full of thieves. Her interpreter was horrified, but Mary stated that if he didn't stay it, she'd just walk up to the chief and say it herself. So the interpreter did. The chieftain was absolutely dumbfounded by her harsh bravado he protested that his town was not full of thieves but mary refused to believe him she said that she'd have to see for herself and then decide the chieftain told the village not to harm her and her men and from there on did his best to appease mary and prove to her his village was indeed f- full of good men
1: i'm i'm speechless
0: that's <laughs> <wow. Yeah. laughs> Uh, later on in that same village, one of Mary's fang men got into a fight with one of the villagers. The villagers tied him up, planning to cut him apart and eat him, but Mary intervened. She walked up, and she ordered the chieftain to release the man. He did, saving the men's life.
2: Oh, we're at this point now. She's ordering the chieftain, so clearly she has taken control. Mary basically
1: is the chieftain at this
0: point. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She Uh, just waltzes (laughs) in with a gigantic dress and (laughs) knee-high boots, and I, I am the captain now. (laughs) It's just what she does. Like, hello guys, I'm home. (laughs) (laughs) Mary traveled in uncharted Fang territory for about a year before turning and heading home. On her way back to the west coast, she traveled through the Agua River, discovering six new species of fish, eight new species of insects, and a new snake. And just for good measure, she decided to chart a route over Mount Cameroon, She climbed 4,040 meters, or about 13,000 feet, up a mountain no one had ever climbed before, in a corset dress and high heels with no climbing equipment, and charted a brand new route over Mount Cameroon.
1: She just can't be stopped?
0: (laughs) just can't stop her? Um. Mary returned home to England in November of 1895, greeted by an army of journalists. Some were there to interview her about her travels, but others were there for an entirely different reason. The suffrage movement was ongoing in England at the time, and many feminist groups were attempting to brand Mary as a new woman, making her a role model of sorts. Ironically, Mary was rather against the whole feminist ideology, believing that women should not have the right to vote and stating that men were the superior gender. Her refusal to support women's rights movements is indeed kind of odd, but it can be explained, because Mary was, at the time, attempting to publish multiple academic studies— in an environment almost entirely dominated by males. So by refusing to get involved in the women's rights movements without downright, like, saying no to it, might have been to protect herself from the PR backlash and ruin her chances at publications.
1: Hmm, So she kind of
0: just didn't want to get involved. She kind of said, no, I'm not for you. But she never actually was adamantly out against it or for it. She just kind of, no, don't want to get involved. So... Yeah, people still aren't entirely sure if she actually agreed with it or not. She never really wrote about her own personal opinions, so eh. Mm. Anyways, um so though, uh looking past her backwards views on women, she was rather radical when it came to other topics. Upon her return to England, she instantly pissed off the Church of England with her criticism of their missionaries and methods of converting African people and corrupting religion. <laughs> She was actually adamantly in support of things like polygamy and free religion, stating that it was often done out of necessity and not of lust. You see, the Church of England, when they converted African men, would order them to abandon all but one of their wives, leaving the others and their children to just kind of fend for themselves, which usually ended in them starving. So Mary's views on cultural and economic imperialism was also rather complicated and is still discussed today. On one side, she was for the protection and preservation of the African people and their culture, on the other, she believed that it would be beneficial with British economic and technological influence, as well as an indirect ruling. Not a direct ruling, but an indirect one. So she wasn't pro-colony, but she was pro-Britain has its hands in the trade market. That may be because she lived with, traveled as a trader for years. Like, she kind of identified with the traders. She wasn't pro-Britain, she was pro-merchants. It's a colony light. kind yeah, of yeah. Co- yeah, colony light, yeah. there we go. Um, her views on the differences of the European-African man were also controversial for the time. Uh, she believed them to be equal, aside from cultural aspects. Quote, "...although a Darwinian to the core, I doubt if evolution in a neat and tidy perpendicular line, with fetish at the bottom and Christianity at the top, represents the true state of affairs, and the black man is no more an undeveloped white man than a rabbit is an undeveloped hare. When she wow. returned, yeah, it was, which at the time was basically, like, you're a radical, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, you're, you're an extremist. So, Mary wrote two best-selling books about her travels, the Travels in West Africa in 1897 and West African Studies in 1899. Now, both books were meant to be academical on purpose, but Mary would often write with a bit of humor, a bit of a flair... Um, That would kind of captivate the readers, which resulted in them often being read less for education and more for entertainment, which meant they sold sold a ton. Because people would buy them for educational purposes, and also people would buy them for entertainment purposes because they filled both niches, and she just sold a shitload of these journals. That's a smart though. Yeah, like, she re- she wrote them kind of like a diary, and she'd write about her own fuck-ups. Like, every time she flipped a canoe, she'd like, like, oh, I'm such a klutz, I flipped a canoe today, had to beat off a crocodile. Like, she'd do it like that. She was very self-deprivating, there was a lot of humor in it, um, which was entirely oh. new. Like, usually journals at that time were just the driest, you know, analytical descriptions possible, so. Yeah. yeah,
2: no, no, I'm such a klutz that this crocodile attacked me and I beat it with a stick. Yeah, yeah no.
0: With, with, like, a ragtime <laughs> piano playing in the background. <laughs> Um, when the Boer War broke out in 1898, Mary instantly left for Cape Town to volunteer as a battlefield nurse. She was stationed at Simon's Town Hospital, where she treated the Boer prisoners of war. The hospital was actually a set of barracks that had been turned into a makeshift facility. When she arrived, it was staffed by a single doctor and two nurses and a bit over 200 patients. They laid in narrow iron beds under coarse sackcloth sheets with mud-colored blankets. Many were badly wounded from the war, and delirious men with fevers ran about screaming in their nightshirts. The whole place was filthy and full of bugs and lice. Mary wrote to her friend about the ordeal, quote, I never struck such a rocky bit of the valley of the shadow of death in all my days as I did in the palace hospital Simonstown. Whether I shall come up out of this, I don't know. All this work here, the stench, the washing, the enemas, the bedpans, the blood, is my world. After a few months, Mary herself began developing symptoms of typhoid. Quote from another nurse, Ah, she rallied on for a short time, but she realized she was going. She asked to be left to die alone, saying that she did not wish anyone to see her in her weakness. She said, animals want to die alone. The nurses and doctors reluctantly left her alone in her room, and she passed away the following morning on June 3rd, 1900. She requested to be buried at sea. Quote, This was, I believe, the only favor and distinction that she ever asked for herself. And it was, uh, accorded with every circumstance and honor. A party of West Yorkshires with band before them drew the coffin from the hospital on a gun carriage to the pier. Torpedo boat number 29 put it out to sea, and Rounding Cape Point committed her to the element in which she had chosen to be laid. But, with a touch of comedy, which would have amused Kingsley herself, was added when the coffin refused to sink, and had to be dragged back <laughs> on board, and then thrown over again, this time weighed down with the ship's anchor. Oh, <laughs> she was proud till the end. No, even uh-huh. in death, she refused to go down. Yeah. <laughs> I had to tie an anchor to her. <laughs> Ironically, despite her disagreement with the feminist movement, Mary did break through many social barriers. She published academic papers in a time where women were not even allowed to study. She traveled through Africa with headhunters in a time where women were not even allowed to leave their house without their husband. She's credited with with introducing the world to a more personal meeting with the African people and their culture, and promoted the concept of preserving their culture. The Fair Commerce Party formed soon after her death, pressuring for improved conditions for the natives of British colonies— and multiple reform associations were formed in her honor and helped facilitate governmental change in Africa. The Liverpool School of Topical Medicine has also founded an honorary medal in her name.
1: So, well, damn. That's, that's, it would have been impossible not to break some barriers, though. Yeah. so that's, With every, everything she's done. So. That's,
0: uh, that's today's history snippet about Mary Henrietta Kingsley. Most badass woman in England. <laughs> She's up Probably. there. She's on the top 10. I've got a, yeah, I, like, I've got a list to top of like 10 She's definitely up. I've got like 30 three. snippets topics ready. And there's a couple other women there that might be. Okay. I, I, I expected maybe a top three, but top 10. I don't know. So, I mean, I, I kind of get where she's coming from about the whole. I don't want to get involved in the feminist movement because it'll just ruin my possibility of publishing these academic papers. Um, she was against women voting, she did say that, there, I didn't include it, but there was a quote where she was basically like, I'm against women voting in Parliament, cause women, um, are not involved in anything with the Parliament, so they'll just mess it up, but I'm very for women voting in local votes and governments, because they're heavily involved there, so she was kinda like, she was sorta right, but not right, like, she was, she was halfway where she needed to be, so. Yeah. But she did, mm-hmm. she made a ton of progress in other areas, so I guess, ironically, even though she... Wasn't a feminist. She was still a feminist, basically. <laughs> so, anyways, that's that's Marietta, Marietta, Mary Henrietta Kingsley. <laughs> Sweet. We'll catch you next time, guys. Goodbye.
2: Uh, see you later, man. Bye.